Your arena is everywhere you go when you walk outside of your front door. When you drive out of your driveway, that's your arena. Your workplace, the parks you take your kids to, the grocery store, the restaurants you frequent, all the places where you go and see people. And now there's actually a whole nother arena called social media, which has made this word influence very interesting. There are people who are considered influencers because they have a certain amount of people who pay attention to what they do and what they say and what they post. But to a degree, everybody has influence. And that's always been true because you go and interact with other people. So you influence the lives of the people in your arena, whether you're aware of it or not. Now it's just heightened because there may be people that you don't even know or don't even live close to you, but they follow you. So you have influence in their life. So the question today is not, do I have influence? You do. The question today is, how am I using my influence? I wanna challenge you with that question. How am I using my influence? One of the most simple definitions of leadership from John Maxwell is this, leadership is influence. So another way of asking that question, where am I leading the people around me? You might think, well, I'm not a leader. Nobody cares what I have to say. I'm not leading people, but you have influence. So maybe you're leading people to Nowhereville, USA, but you are leading people in some way. Maybe you're leading them in the right way, maybe the wrong way, but you are influencing and leading people somewhere. A sobering question to ask, how am I using my influence? Do the people around me, do they know that my life, first and foremost, is for the world to know Jesus? Or do the people around me even know that I follow Jesus? Do my neighbors see a warm and loving Christian? Or do my neighbors even know I exist? Do my coworkers see a Christian person who comes to work and works hard and does things the right way and carries integrity and love, or do they just see another cutthroat person who will do whatever it takes to get ahead of everybody else? Do the people that follow me on social media, do they see Jesus through my life, through my profile, through what I put out to the world, or did I really just post a picture that showcases my abs so I can get girls in my DMs and I slapped a Bible verse as the caption? Don't laugh too hard, ladies. <laughs> there are people who use social media for tremendous influence for the kingdom of God. There are people that come to this church, people that listen to our sermons, people that have grown closer to Jesus, have come to know Jesus, have been baptized because somebody else used their influence to point them to Jesus. I just challenge you in social media because for most people, it's very hard to use that influence for anything other than self-promotion or distraction. How am I using my influence. We've already bypassed the question, do I have it? You do. So how are you using it? And I, I know that it's a convicting question, but I hope that today you're emboldened and empowered to see the opportunity that lies before you to lead people towards Jesus. This is the call of the church, but I also, in thinking about all of you and all the arenas you walk into every single day, I know that it's not easy in a culture like ours, in a city like Austin, it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. It's not easy to open up conversations about Jesus. It's not easy to have influence for Jesus. But it is the call of the church. It is the opportunity that lays before us. We were talking through the flow of this series and heard influence your arena, and the first thing that came to mind, of course, was Man in the Arena, which is not actually originally a show about Tom Brady. It's a quote that Tom Brady and Brene Brown and some people have repopularized but it's the title of the message today, Man in the Arena. We are gonna talk about a specific man who entered into the arena. And I wanna read you this quote from Teddy Roosevelt. April 23rd, 1910, Teddy Roosevelt was giving a speech in France about a lot of different things. 
But the part he is remembered for is when he railed against cynics and critics of people who were trying to make the world a better place. Here's what he said. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Teddy was calling to the world changers, saying, hey, if you wanna change this world, you wanna be a light in this world, it will be hard. It will be challenging because you will have bleachers of people who are not trying to do the same thing you are, but rather just wanna criticize your work. And man, is that true if you're trying to build the kingdom of God. You are gonna have bleachers of people criticizing what you try to do, but it, the credit goes to the man in the arena. And for us as followers of Jesus, who might get marred by sweat and blood and dust, what we always have to hold on to is that we follow the man in the arena who does not fail, who does not know failure, but who entered into the arena on our behalf and now invites us into it to go with boldness and faith to share him with the world, to be world changers. And I, I think maybe one of the most inspiring, one of my favorite stories in scripture is about a man who entered into the arena following after Jesus named Stephen from the book of Acts. It's a story that I have loved since I first read it as a passionate college student. And it's actually the, the first story that I ever preached on my first time preaching on a Sunday morning at a church. 11 years ago, Doug and I were fresh out of college and we moved to Laguna Beach, California to do youth ministry. We had a buddy, Sam, who had become a youth pastor out there and he said, hey, I'm guessing you guys don't have any plans because you're done with college, so how about you move out to Laguna, I'll get an apartment, we'll live close to the beach, I'll cover the rent if you guys intern at the church and help start a youth ministry. And we didn't have plans, so we went. We packed up Doug's Saturn view with literally everything we owned and drove out of the Rocky Mountains to Laguna Beach, California. We got there and the whole idea was, hey, there's an arena we're stepping into to have influence on these high schoolers and these middle schoolers for Jesus. And with that came ministry. This was my first ministry gig and my first time ever preaching. We had Tuesday nights with the high schoolers, Thursday nights with the junior hires. And I can tell you that the worst sermon I ever preached was the first time I preached Tuesday night to the high school kids. I can't really succinctly sum it up for you because I'm still not sure what it was about. <laughs> but I, I can give you the outline because it is burned into my memory. I came out swinging and showed a video clip from one of the Lord of the Rings movies to make sure the high school kids knew I was really cool. <laughs> Good start, won them over there. I, for some reason, went straight from that into Exodus when Moses and the Israelites kind of choose to walk into following God's law neglecting to explain to the high school kids who Moses was or what Exodus was or who the Israelites were, or what the law meant. Breeze past that, confused them a ton. From there, I went through not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six different stories of Jesus reaching to people on the fringes and on the outside from scripture I guess that was kind of the vibe I was going for, like Jesus came for everybody. And then I just told some of my testimony and at the end realized I have no way to wrap this up. 
I've just opened 100 cans of worms and I haven't explained anything. And these kids are sitting there like, hey, 50 minutes? That's how long our high school classes are. Our average sermons to these poor high school kids was 50 minutes long. They wanted nothing to do with it. And that sermon, as I didn't know how to wrap it up, I just kind of ended it like, hey, so we've got this chalkboard. Doug and I had spent hours making this chalkboard that got used maybe once, very lightly, this night. I said, during worship, I want you guys to go and write something on this chalkboard that makes you feel like an outsider, which high school kids are just dying to display their insecurities to their peers. They're like, oh yeah, can I go first? (laughs) So that didn't really happen while Doug and this high school worship kid sang uh, the song Happy Day. Anybody remember that, Jim? If you wanna just, like if you're having a bad day, just remember that Doug sang Happy Day to a group of high school kids and I did get to witness it and it was absolutely brutal. That was the worst sermon that I ever preached. And so the weird thing was that we were just trying at youth ministry and trying things and more kids kept coming, even though we preached for 50 minutes. And then we were preparing for Youth Sunday. Youth Sunday is the day where the youth group takes over big church on Sunday, where everything is done by the youth group, which has always meant well and never really goes great. And I had this idea for a sermon. I had preached by then maybe two or three times, so I thought like, okay, There's this story of Stephen, it's really powerful, it's gonna speak to this young generation of our church, but it's also gonna speak to the older generations and everybody should hear this. And so Doug and Sam said, yeah, you preach on Youth Sunday. That was my first time preaching on a Sunday morning. And it was the day that I kind of always looked back on and thought like, that was the day that preaching clicked for me as something that God called me to. I actually found a picture of myself 11 years ago first time preaching on a Sunday. And I'm wearing the same shirt. Total, total coincidence, didn't even plan that. 11 years later, I have, the, Dave Ramsey is so happy somewhere at my stewardship. I'm wearing the same shirt. You never throw away a flannel. I realized that I look different because that was 11 years ago, a third of my life ago. I was young, shining. I don't know what's happened, but here, here I am. There's the chalkboard behind me, actually, that somebody just wrote Youth Sunday on that chalkboard, so it did get used, which I feel good about. I also wanted to show you a picture of our youth team. There's Doug, just a sinister follower of Jesus. No time to smile because we are taking the gospel to Laguna Beach. There's our buddy Sam, the youth pastor, who couldn't find two better interns than me or Doug, so I don't know what that says about him. And then Laura and Danny, some of the other youth leaders. And it was just this little team that was just trying to reach high schoolers and junior hires with the gospel. And I didn't want Ryan to feel left out, so I just found a picture of us around that time, all three of us. There we are, not yet marred by blood, sweat, and dust of ministry. That was the Sunday that I I kinda thought, like kids and youth leaders came up after and they were moved and inspired by the message and even some real adults, like parents came up and said, like, I loved your passion, I loved that story, that was a powerful message. It felt like kind of a stake in the ground day for me. Until this week, I found the audio of that sermon from 11 years ago. Thank God there's not a video. (laughs) I sat in my car and listened to it and I just laughed. Because I always thought, like, that was one of the best sermons I think I ever preached, and it was quite the opposite. I realized that all these parents that came up after, they, they were just being nice. <laughs> you know it's bad when you prepared a lot, and it sounds like you're just seeing your notes for the very first time. Just in front of a group of people, like, okay, I guess today we're talking about this, and just stumbling around. I have a recurring nightmare that 
I just come to consciousness and I, somebody's like, hey, go preach now. I'm like, no, it's, it's not my Sunday. I don't have anything prepared. What am I supposed to preach about? And they're like, go, go, go. And then I just have to walk out here and just come up with something on the spot. And honestly, if that happened to me now, I think I could handle it better than I handled that first sermon with weeks of preparation. It was brutal. And I was listening to it. I was laughing in my car. And it was this really good humbling moment. But it was also a challenging moment because I felt imposter syndrome kind of creeping up in me. Like I felt that 11 years ago. Like, I, who am I to do this? I've never even read the whole Bible. I have now. It took me 11 years, but I've read it. Who am I to speak on behalf of God? But I had this, this passion that I want to, to still have in my life that said, well, if there's an opportunity, I'm gonna go tell people about Jesus. I don't know everything, but I'm gonna tell them about Jesus if I get the chance. And I thought about that sermon and how poorly communicated it was, but then I realized that there were people that were inspired that day. And it wasn't because of me, it's because the word of God speaks for itself because the Holy Spirit moves, and not just in spite of, but through imperfect vessels. So often we feel this imposter syndrome, and it, I felt it creep back up because I also thought, I'm not that different 11 years later. I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel like I'm enough, like I have enough in the tank to, to go preach and to share the gospel and to have that conversation with that person. We can so often stop ourselves from going into the arena because the biggest critic in the stands is ourselves, and we feel like imposters. But the beauty of the story of the church is that God uses the least likely can use a 22-year-old who's just trying and stumbling around to tell a powerful story from scripture to inspire and move people. And when we are trying to reach people for the gospel, when we want our influence to be, to point people to the glory of God, it's Jesus who has the influence through us in the end. So let's not talk ourselves out of stepping into the arena because we are embarrassed by times when we didn't handle it well or we see the imperfections in ourselves or we're the critic up in the stands, but instead hear the call to dare greatly, to have that passion that says, you know what? I don't know everything and I'm not perfect and because of that, I have all the more reason to go tell people the greatest story that there is, the story of Jesus. And I see that in the story we're gonna look at right now, this story of Stephen, a story of boldness and a story of faith. Let me give you a little backstory before we read some scripture. Uh, at this point in the book of Acts, the early church is growing. Peter and John and the disciples, they're, they're preaching the gospel and more people are coming to know Jesus, which means there's more opportunity and more ministry to be done. And there's a little dispute going on between some Hebrew Jews and some Greek Jews where the Greek Jews are saying, hey, you guys aren't taking care of our widows the same way you take care of yours. We're not being treated the same. It feels like there's a line drawn between us. So the disciples come together and they go, okay, we gotta solve this problem and serve these people well. And they raise up a group of seven men and they say, this is gonna be your arena. You're gonna go serve in this area. You're gonna go love people and you're gonna show them Jesus. And one of those guys is Stephen. Stephen is full of wisdom and full of the spirit. It's how he's described. He's kind of like the Justin Timberlake of this boy band. He's the one that stands out. And we know that these guys are effective, that they immediately have influence because right after that, it says that more disciples are made, more people come to know Jesus. And Stephen ends up having more and more of an influence. And we learn a little more about him and what happens to him in Acts chapter six. It says, now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. 
They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So we learn about Stephen that he was full of the spirit, which is the secret weapon. It is the key to influence that the spirit of God is what's flowing from your life. And it's his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness and his gentleness, his self-control. It's that he's full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power because the Holy Spirit is leading. Wouldn't you like to be described as that? Full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power. And we also learn that he's baby-faced. He's got the face of an angel. He's young, which is why I loved this story for Youth Sunday 11 years ago. I love it in a church of a lot of young people. But regardless of how young or old you feel, what this story points us to is that age is never an excuse and it's never a limit on the influence that your life can have right here and right now. And this man is an example of that. And so he gets arrested, falsely accused, brought before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and the chief priest goes, hey, you're being accused of blasphemy. Are these charges true? And Stephen launches into one of the greatest sermons of all time. He goes, where's Jesus on these guys? He had that sermon series idea well before we did this past summer. He lays out their entire history, all of their religious beliefs, and how it all points to Jesus. He goes, hey, here's all the common ground we stand on, but what you're missing is Jesus. The problem for Stephen is these are the men who killed Jesus. They don't really like that this man that they put on a cross seems to be very much alive, and the people following him are growing by the day, and they won't stop talking about him. And so when he's opposed, the end of his sermon Stephen says this, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. He gives them a harsh rebuke, but what he's saying to them is, hey, you're missing it. And we are a people who has always been missing it. We've been missing what God is doing. You're missing Jesus. He's right here for you. He has bought eternity for you. Everything that you know has been pointing to Jesus. But this is the response he's met with. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. This is like a mirror of the story of the death of Jesus. He's arrested, falsely accused, brought before the powerful and killed and prays for the men killing him as he's dying. Stephen lived like Jesus and he died like Jesus. He's the first martyr of our church the very first Christian killed for their faith. You talk about a man in the arena whose face is marred by blood and sweat and dust, 
who dared greatly, strove valiantly, who spent himself for a worthy cause. This is a man in the arena. And I love this story because this man in the arena gets the man in the arena out of his seat. We hear Jesus referred to in scripture as now seated at the right hand of God, but Stephen sees him standing. Augustine said this, judges sit, advocates stand. Jesus is both our judge and our advocate and was advocating for Stephen as he was condemned by the people of Jerusalem. Matthew Henry says in his commentary, Jesus stands ready to receive Stephen and crown him. And in the meantime, to give him the prospect of the joy set before him. Stephen sees that Christ is for him no matter who is against him. This is a powerful story that stands alone as one of the boldest moves of faith that we have. But I also wanna illustrate to you the ripple effect that it has and the influence that Stephen has that has reached all the way to you. So we talked that this, this whole idea of a changed world starts with a changed heart. And Doug used the example of Peter. One of Jesus' closest friends, the guy who always had the wrong answer, did things wrong, denied Jesus, uneducated, couldn't read, couldn't write, fisherman, the last guy anyone would say could be a world changer. Jesus changes his heart, and then he goes and impacts his circle, the Acts 2 church. He goes and leads the charge of this group of people being hunted by the Roman Empire and the Sanhedrin, and Peter leads the charge, has impact in this circle that welcomes more people into it, and then sends them out like Stephen into their arena to go serve and love in their city, to go tell people about Jesus. Let me read to you what happens right after this verse, after Stephen has died, Acts chapter eight. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. It sounds like Stephen's made it harder for the church. But what's actually happened is the church has scattered to the very places that Jesus said it would. The ripple effect of world change has begun because of this man who stood in boldness and gave his life up for his faith in Jesus. Next thing you know, this guy Philip is in Samaria preaching the gospel. Philip goes and he meets an Ethiopian eunuch, the very first African Christian that we know of. The gospel starts spreading. World change is happening. Tertullian said the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. And as the church is persecuted, as people step into the arena in a world that will criticize and attack, the church just grows like wildfire. There are people right now in this world in 2022 putting their lives on the line who are in restricted and closed countries to the gospel and risking their lives so that people can come and know Jesus. By the way, if you give at this church, you financially support some of those people on the other side of the world who are risking everything for the gospel. People giving their lives up for their faith. And so there's this big cataclysmic epicenter earthquake moment of the church scattering. There's also a person that Stephen has tremendous influence on. There's this guy, Saul, who's there. He's the guy who tells everybody, hey, here's the pile of rocks, throw them at Stephen until he's dead. And I'll do coat check, put your coats right here. And then he goes and tries to destroy and ravage the church. Until Saul is on the road to Damascus and has an encounter with God that as we would say here, doesn't flip everything upside down for him, it flips everything right side up for Saul. And he becomes Paul, the greatest missionary of all time. The man who was hunting Christians becomes the greatest church planter, 
who takes the gospel into the Roman Empire and plants churches. And, and I think about Paul and his life and everything that he went through from there. He was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he went through so many things, arrested, put in prison. At the end of his life, he was in a prison cell in Rome, writing letters that we read today in our scriptures on death row before he was beheaded for his faith. And I think about Paul and everything he went through and I just have to believe that one of the most influential people in his life was Stephen. That he thinks about the moment that this man who was so bold in his faith prayed for him as he let him be killed. There's a quote that says, without Stephen's prayer, we would not have Paul. Often we like to think of ourselves as the main character in the story. I'll be the, the person that gets to say that one thing on the world stage or make that move that changes everything. But what if your influence is going to be on somebody who gets on that stage? What if you are a Stephen in the story of a Paul, the least likely, the last person you would think and your influence on them leads them to go and change the world? And today, the gospel has spread through the movement of Paul planting churches all the way to places like Austin, Texas. Stephen has influenced your life. You know about Jesus because of this man who had influence in his arena through life and through death. The story is so heavy and it always challenges me to ask the question, would I die for my faith? Would I die for my faith? But it can be hard to wrap your arms around that question or, or relate to this story because here in Austin, Texas in the United States of America, it's very unlikely that you're gonna be dragged out by a mob and have rocks thrown at you until you're dead for believing in Jesus. So maybe the better question for us to be asking a lot of days in our lives is, will I live for him? Will I live for him? Will everything I do, all of the influence, every moment that I have with people, will I use it so that they can know the glory and the goodness of Jesus? Will I live for him? There's a, a man who's a part of our church up in Denver. His name is Mark Montoya. And Mark is an MMA coach. He has recently been named one of the top 20 UFC coaches of all time. He's been the coach of the year many times. He's had 12 world titles come from his gym. And he's brought more and more people to church and he's having tremendous influence in his arena at the gym. And so our pastor up in Denver, Sean, went and spent some time with Mark and asked him some questions and saw the people that are in his arena and got to hear a little of the story of this guy who's just simply going into his arena and having influence for the kingdom of God. And I wanted to share that story with you. for me through way harder things than fighting. You know, fighting is something we get to do together that's a lot of fun and we really enjoy it. And there's been a lot of things in my life since I moved here and since I met Coach Mark that haven't been fun and haven't been easy. And, and he's been kind of a rock in my life to help me through those times. He's such an integral part of my life, um, both here on the mat and uh, outside of the mat. Like me being a believer, I know like where, you know, where, where he's coming from in a lot of these things. And there's just, just constant little like lessons and everything he does. Coach Mark and Jarrett always invite everyone from the team to come to church, come to Red Rocks. Everything he does here is all based on the same things that he values in church. Yeah. So it's kind of been easy. It's a real easy transition. It's like, he makes you want to go and experience that. So with Coach Mark was like, how you talk to yourself, and, and the th you know, the people you surround yourself with, that, that really doesn't matter. Yeah. I messaged Coach the other day and I was like, hey, I'm feeling lost, what do you, and I told him the situation, I was like, things are not working out, what do you do? And he was like, I'll see you Sunday. I win Sunday, Come so. On. 
What's up guys, we are here with the one and only Coach Mark Montoya of Factory X. I texted Coach, I said, would there be anyone on your team who would say, I'm closer to God because of what Coach has done in my life? And he texted me back in like 15 seconds with, eight names, and then you said, just for starters. I, I, I'm around here every now and then. This is not on its own gonna just morph into a let's talk about Jesus club. No, no, no. <laughs> so how do you do that? My job first and foremost is to create world champions in life. Uh, my job second is to create world champions in the cage. And if we want world champions in that cage, they have to do all the things right when it comes to life. And it didn't happen overnight. That's one thing that is, is foolproof and apparent. Yeah, that yeah. didn't happen overnight. I had to battle some of my insecurities in order to get there. It's a unique spot to be in. It's a, it's a crazy arena. The business I'm in is not easy to do and say when it comes to the Christian way. That's not easy to do. I'm not going to shy away from my Christianity. I'm not going to shy away from how God's helped change my life. Talk about how for you, partnering with a local church helps you reach out to people. You know, just inviting them there to go get a feel for something is the same I would do if you reached out to me, Sean, and said, Coach Mark, I'm interested in training with you. I can talk to you on the phone, and absolutely I want to do that. We're gonna connect. However, Good instead guy. of talking about it, I'd rather show you. I think sometimes we get caught up in quantity, and I feel like you shouldn't be discouraged if it's one person or if it's 5,000. Yeah. It's just, it's what God's put you in position to do. So I would say just go do something. Coach, you already know what it is, man. Uh, you're the reason I'm not in prison right now. You're the reason um, I'm sober and successful in life. A huge part of that, um, you continuously mentor me and uh, help, me, help me live my dreams every day. So I just thank you for that and I uh, appreciate that. Well, I couldn't ask for a better coach, for a better, He's almost like a father figure to me. Um, I'm super blessed and I could never, you know, take that for granted. And all I can do is do what I do best and do what he's taught me best. You changed my life and I can't wait to use everything that you've instilled in me and to keep continuing to change other people's lives. So thank you for everything, Coach, seriously. Coach Mark, I tell you this all the time, you and your family are a paramount in my life. I love you guys with every breath that I have. Um, thank you guys for never giving up on me because of you guys. Um, I'm able to be on a, on a good path, so I uh, love you guys. Thank you. I love that. I love that story because while we may be inspired and moved by the story of Stephen, it can feel hard to relate to the first martyr of the Christian church. But this is a guy who just goes to his gym and sees the opportunity for the influence in his arena. There's some guys in this church from a boxing gym, and they just keep bringing more guys from the boxing gym right over here just an arena to go influence people for Jesus. And there's been, uh, there was a referee from a men's basketball league that our guys played in that ended up getting baptized here because he met those guys. They went out in their arena playing basketball. And the story ended with a guy who comes to our church and got baptized here. It's, it's actually real simple. That's what I love about Mark. It's just a simple way of looking at things a little differently than we tend to. I love that he says, my, my job first and foremost is to create world champions in life. These are human beings that are coming into his gym. And so I wanna end here with just four practical basics of having influence in your arena that I see in Mark, that I see in the story of Stephen. The first one is this, be ready. Be ready for the moments that God has for you. Be ready for the people in your life, for that conversation, for that opportunity to pray for somebody, for that opportunity to invite somebody. Mark goes into his gym and I think he shows up there differently than most of us show up to work. 
He's not showing up just for the task at hand. He's showing up for the people, the human beings who are walking into his gym. Stephen was ready. He was ready to jump up and serve when asked. He was also ready with a sermon when he was brought before the Sanhedrin and preached the gospel. And you may not have all the answers. You might, may not know every scripture, but you know the gospel and you can get to know it more and more. You can know your stuff. You can know your scripture. You can pray on your way to work to show up there ready for the people rather than just driving and being frustrated by all the people in the cars around you because you're sitting in traffic. Show up ready. Your influence starts with your heart posture and your discipline and the way that you seek God and are ready for the people that he brings into your life. The second one, be excellent. There's a reason that people show up to Mark's gym and it's because he's a really good coach. He has influence because of his excellence and he has some intuitive gifts, I'm sure, but he has worked tirelessly to be a great coach. And these people show up to the gym because he's a great coach. What they find out is he's a great man of God, a man in the arena who has influence in their lives. We say and grow a lot, excellence generates influence, influence increases impact. And impact is what matters there, but it starts with excellence. If you carry yourself excellently, people will pay attention to you, you can have influence, and it ends up with stories of impact like those fighters were saying about Mark. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're in a culture and a society that is just basically okay with the bare minimum. No value of excellence in most places you go now. If you are that person that has excellence, even in the job you don't like, you will stand out. You will have influence in the lives of the people around you that will lead to impact. So be excellent. Number three, be bold. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee though no one pursues but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I love when Mark says, I'm not gonna shy away from my Christianity. I'm not gonna force it down people's throats. I'm not gonna be that Christian, but I am gonna be bold. I'm gonna invite him to church. I'm gonna tell him my story. I'm gonna tell him about Jesus. That guy at the end that had told Sean, yeah, I was going through some stuff. And then Mark just said, I'll see you on Sunday. So I showed up on Sunday. You have no idea the impact that a simple moment of boldness could have in the eternity of somebody else. Nobody's more bold than Stephen, the first martyr of the church, who says what nobody else wants to say and it costs him everything. But it's the same boldness to speak the truth that is the same grace that allows him to pray for the men that are killing him. We were talking with Sean about being with Mark and, and watching this man who's just in the arena and ready to be bold and how we can so often in our insecurities be timid about sharing our faith. And Sean was like, so often I don't really share my faith. I'm a pastor because I just want people to think I'm cool. I, I don't wanna be that Christian, right? We, we know the Christians, we maybe have been those Christians that are bold in the wrong ways and the way that we have opinions and no room for conversation and we won't listen to people when we push people away. But I think so often our worry of being bold in the wrong way stops us from being bold in the right way. And so Sean was thinking about that and praying and he said, God just kind of downloaded to him like, hey, Sean, I can worry about my reputation. I don't need you to try to be cool. I need you to walk in your calling. I need you to see the arena around you and use your influence with boldness. That's our call as the church, to be bold. What are the insecurities that are holding you back? What's the boldness that would allow you to speak the truth when it needs to be said and have the grace to pray for the very people in the bleachers that are mocking you? And the last thing, be a bridge builder. You could complete this as a sentence. Be a ready, excellent, bold bridge builder. So often the reason that we aren't bold or we have watched other Christians be bold and not wanna be like that is because rather than build bridges, they have burned bridges, drawing lines, keeping people away, making people feel unwelcome. You don't know as much as me, I'm better than you, that kind of mentality. Well, all the while you have the opportunity to build bridges to people, starting with just the fact that you're human beings. And you probably have some common interests if you work together 
You have the opportunity to build a bridge to somebody. So many of your friends right now are so confused about what this whole life is about. And they're not getting many answers from a culture that's just telling them, believe whatever you want, make it up yourself. You can just be God. That are desperate for a friend who's bold enough to tell them the truth of Jesus. Bold enough to tell them what maybe nobody else will say. Bold enough to invite them to church or to coffee and build a bridge to them and say, hey, I've had doubts. I have doubts, I have insecurities, I have issues, I felt pain. I can build a bridge to you and have a conversation. While Stephen was so bold to the Sanhedrin, he also was building a bridge the whole time in his message to them. Hey, we all stand on this common ground of our story. We all know the same religious background. I'm trying to build a bridge to you guys so you can walk onto here and see that it's all pointed to Jesus. Be a bridge builder, be ready, be excellent, be bold and be a bridge builder. Would you guys stand to your feet if you're able? I wanna pray. There are so many arenas represented in this room of Austin right now and beyond. Arenas through people watching online all over the country and all over the world. So many arenas with the chance for us to go and be that person that has the influence that might lead to a Paul. There might be a Paul in your arena right now, somebody who's going to go change the world because of your influence pointing them to Jesus. And so Jesus, I pray as a family that you would give us the boldness. Would we be people who dare greatly, men and women who step into the arena, marred by blood and sweat and dust, willing at whatever the cost to live for you, to lay our lives down for you, to love the people, even the critics in the seats, knowing ultimately that everyone in our arena simply needs to know you. Would you ready us? Would you give us a drive for excellence? Would you put boldness in us? And would we build bridges and see more and more people with changed hearts that lead to a changed world? In Jesus' name, amen.